punchline takes. Line Takes Podcast. Excuse me for being excited, people. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Touchline Takes. I am Carl, joined here by Cameron, and we have a very, very, very special episode for you guys today. We are also joined um, by one of the co-owners of Detroit City Football Club, Alex Wright. Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. Wow. Hey, hey guys. Thanks for having me. I hope I can live up to the triple very filling that you just gave me. <laughs> no, no. It, it, we got to talk you up. We, we, we got we to gotta bring you in hot. And we also have to start you off by asking you the hardest question we're going to mm. ask you the entire podcast. And um, so what we want to get started with is sort of what got you interested in the sport of soccer and kind of what got you involved with uh, working with Detroit City? Yeah, yeah. You start with the long one, the long form question, super. Great. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's see. Uh, so the best way to uh, describe the, the way I got started with soccer is uh, being from Southeast Michigan, Detroit area, born in Detroit, grew up in, the, um, in Detroit and the suburbs. Um, soccer was, for most of my social group, uh, the sport everyone plays. So I was, you know, I... Uh, I, I was always around it, but it wasn't my sport. You know, my, my brother was a big soccer player, and uh, a lot of my friends were soccer players. So it was always familiar with the game. I always had a ton of respect for it, but it wasn't something I was particularly good at. And when you're in high school, it's, it's you know, it's easier to like things you're good at. So I was a baseball guy. Um, so soccer was always on my radar. Um, but more than anything, I was a sports. And um, being a, you know, which isn't that hard to do, again, in the Detroit area, especially in the area when I was growing up, you know, I, saw a lot of championship series and a lot of national championship teams. And uh, that made me crazy for, for sports in general. And um, as I uh, grew up and went to college and started looking for a career, I got into media studies and, and TV and film production. And I was fortunate enough to right out of school, start working in the documentary uh, video area. And uh, the companies that I worked for, we did a lot of documentaries that happened to be about sports. So I was able to kind of leverage my passion for sports uh, along with the, the passion for what I wanted to do for a living. Um, and uh, that parlayed into a job working at our local Fox sports station where I was doing kind of um, sports production. Now, um, the reason I'm telling you this long-winded story is it's only because of that resume that I was asked uh, in 2010 to be one of the five founding owners of Detroit City FC. When Sean Mann had the idea to create the club, um, a big part of the, the plan was to have, uh, you know, the, the folks that he wanted to collaborate with had brought different skills to the table. And the skills I brought to the table was, you know, storytelling and, and a decent understanding of like sports media in Detroit. So, Really, what 
I think I'm really interested. You know, I'm unique in the sense that I fell in love with DCFC before I fell in love with soccer. It's only through my association with this club um, that I really started understanding the power of the game, not only the beauty of it on the pitch, but also the ability for it to bring people together, um, people that grew up playing the sport and, and, and have always loved it, but also the unique space that the sport uh, occupies in our culture, that it's not, because it's not the number one sport, it has to be different, it has to be unique, there has, it has to be creative. And those are all aspects of the game that really um, appealed to me as you know, a, a creative professional, right? So mm-hmm. when I saw all those potentials for the sport um, through the lens of working with DCFC, um, you know, I became a total convert. And here I am uh, 10 years, 11 years down the road. Um, you know, it's by far the, my favorite sport. And, but I still sort of maintain that unique uh, aspect <laughs> where uh, DCFC is still my team, uh, always will be my team, but I'm not really like a second team kind of guy. I think it kind of frustrates a lot of folks, uh, like hardcore soccer people when they talk to me and they like want to know my other teams and like because of the way I came to the game and the way I came to the team, it's not like I could tell you everyone that played on, you know, Chelsea in 2007, right? Like I just, I'm not that guy, um, but that doesn't make my respect for the game any less. Definitely. Right. And I think that, you know, I think we've started to see probably a, a growth in that, uh, that that market you know people who are just really passionate about the sport itself may not have been you know the best player ever but um have really fallen in love with the sport um the sport first you know rather than just playing it um but i i guess i want to kind of dig back into when you guys started detroit city uh and correct me if i'm wrong but that was 2012 yeah so our first season was 2012 and then the conversation surrounding it we're in 2011, and we all met in 2010 playing in a co-ed soccer league. So DCFC showed up on my personal radar about 18 months before the, the first season of our MPSL team. Okay, okay. And so, you know, that, I guess, where I was leading with that was, uh, that was a, a weird time, I think, in, in lower league soccer. Um, you know, I think the NASL was starting back up right around then. It might have been, what, 2011, I think. Um, USL was was doing its thing, but I think it had been going back and forth between having its two divisions. Uh, so what was what was sort of on on the mind of you and the co-founders when you thought about you know what the outlook was for for getting a club started in uh, in 2011 2012? Yeah, um, it's funny. Um, I would probably say the easiest analogy is like you know we made our decisions very similarly to like a, a broke band making their decisions you know like you, you can't make a cd if you can only afford cassette tapes right like yeah like, yeah. You know, like all of a sudden it becomes this nostalgic decision but it's just because they right. couldn't afford to cut a record um we were attracted to the mtsl at the time because it i, I think the buy-in was um I think it was less than ten thousand dollars. We wanted mm-hmm. to be a part of a national league. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to have what we wanted to play teams from cities that people had heard of. 
Um, and we wanted to make it legit enough that we could draw some decent D1 guys to come play for us. Um, so that was kind of the matrix there for our decision. Um, and really, while you do a good job of kind of paying the picture um, of the space at the time, other than the Bucks that were at the time, I think, in, in PDL, what was called PDL back then, um, right. th there really wasn't uh, that many other options above, you know, just like throwing a team in the top, you know, state of Michigan men's uh, open league, right? We knew we didn't want to do that. So the MPSL at the time, um, fit that niche perfectly but at the end of the day we could afford it and that's why we jumped in now how sort of hard was it to kind of start a club you know in you know sort of detroit you know a, a, a city that loves its sports but has never really throughout its history sort of embraced soccer yeah it's um yeah one i'll, I'll go one more on that uh it's a city that up until Detroit City FC sort of proved that soccer wouldn't work, right? And sort of uh, just put a bunch of well-meaning or, you know, less well-meaning soccer teams uh, just do a meat grinder and, you know, they were lucky to last a handful of years. Um, what it was like at first, the first few years, um, was really just sort of, um, finding a niche that uh, spoke to the emerging um, like social sphere that was going on in the city. Um, our city of Detroit. Um, a big reason folks didn't think soccer would work in the city was because, I had mentioned earlier, because they didn't live in the city. We, we knew that there was enough of a groundswell of young, young people in the city, um, and those are the people that love soccer. That if we if we put together a cool product, there would be enough people to come to break even, right? Um, so what else was going on in town was less of a concern. It's really only been the last few years of our club where we really had to reckon with our place in the landscape and um, really start thinking about how we branch out now that we've um, become you know the, the classic conversations that we have at DCFC is, you know, why are we on the cover of more magazines in Europe than we are in the city of Detroit, right? Why are we getting right. more journalists calling us nationally and internationally than they are mm -hmm. in our home county? And that's a battle that we fight every day that we're still trying to wrap our, our brains around. Is there any sort of like strategy? I mean, strategies you guys have tried to implement to kind of grow sort of that coverage here in the U.S. rather than over in Europe? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty pragmatic and understandable strategy that we're taking. I wish I could say that we've got some like TED Talk super genius secret uh, to share with you guys, but the fact of the matter is, is as the club has grown and we've been able to take on full-time staff positions, like for the first time ever, we have a ticketing department. So we're doing the things that sports teams have done since the invention of sports mm -hmm. to sell tickets, which is, you know, call people who we think will want to buy our tickets and, and, and try to get them to buy our tickets. Um, but I will say that there, there is a space in our region, in our area, um, that allows for a little bit more creative storytelling. Um, I think that one of the things that 
the more established professional teams in town are dealing with um, is that they've been around for so long, right? There's only so much that you can do when you have to be this thing for everyone, right? Um, we're not there yet. We're able to have some fun, um, try some stuff that may or may not work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just recently we we made some waves um, because we offered tickets to folks who are going to be missing out on the beginning of the baseball season. And, yeah, right. Um, right. That was huge. And as I mentioned, I'm a baseball fan. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, that that's probably still my favorite sport because it's the sport I grew up, you know, playing with my dad. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure DCSP could ever take that from me. But um, therefore, uh, I think we have a really clear understanding about how bummed out people are that they don't get to take their kids to baseball. Right? Definitely. So mm-hmm. what can we do? Well, we can call sports radio and, and complain about it. That's what people usually do, right? Yeah, just join the chorus of negativity, or we can present them with a positive option. You know, I think our our hope as the organization this year is that, you know, we're coming out of a really rough stretch. And by we, I mean like this whole planet. Um, But at the same time, there's a lot of signs to be extremely positive about this year. And I think one of those signs is that we're going to be able to start doing things together that we haven't been able to do for the past couple of years. And what, a right. slap in the, and what a slap in the face is that we're not, we might not be able to do baseball. Like it's, uh, it's just, it's so frustrating after everything we've all been through. So um, that's an example of the kind of things that we can do that I'm not sure other sports in town have the luxury of doing, or it's just not, there's, there's not the potential ROI there. Mm-hmm. To, to have those kind of conversations but and again we're the only professional sports team in town with with owners that you know aren't making how many figures is that 11 figures i don't know what's a billionaire 11 figures something like that too many zeros <laughs> right <laughs> so that's kind of um you know one thing i actually want to want to talk about um goes hand in hand with what you've just mentioned uh, and how you're you're sort of trying to build community um, within Detroit. Uh, and I think you had you had mentioned this. I, I you know, I read a couple of articles beforehand um, just to kind of see what you had been talking about. And one of those things was how within soccer, uh, there's there's something that's a little different than than a lot of other American sports. And that's how teams build identity, whether that's um, in Europe, you know, you have uh, you have like very political clubs, and I think maybe Detroit City is one of the the first in the United States that sort of follows that model. Um, did you guys anticipate that happening, or, or was that more of just a, a natural reaction from the community? I, I think that the club has always been a reflection of the values of the folks that founded it. But I think the like the the happy miracle of Detroit City FC is that those values were shared by the most passionate folks that very quickly became our supporters, right? Like uh, we're more often than not, I would say that um, the the ownership, the front office of the club and our like the majority of our supporters um, you know, think that it's very important to recognize just like the human, like the, like the importance of just like 
recognizing the humanity of other people. You know, I, I, I do go back and forth thinking about how Detroit CSC is like a purely political club, because when you look back on the causes and, and, and charities that we've aligned ourselves with, they, they, they certainly haven't seemed particularly controversial from, from most points of view. I mean, that's a very subjective thing. I get it. But sure, we were the first club in America to, to play a match in a, in a kid that was promoting marriage equality. But like mm-hmm. within two years, it became the law of the land, right? Like, right, it, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's tough, to, it's tough to take too much credit for something that, again, was just sort of about acknowledging humanity, <laughs> the, like mm-hmm. the common humanity we all share. Um, but I do, I, I do agree uh, that, and we've talked about this, and I've talked about this myself. That um, we have this amazing opportunity to—it's a platform, right? It's a platform to, that mm-hmm. we own a spot. We own a professional soccer team, um, and we can say things that people will, will hear. That was one of the reasons that we took a stand about what's going on in baseball. But it's also one of the reasons that we. Um, Try to align ourselves with charities that are doing uh, great stuff, and that we're so supportive of our supporter groups when they're also um, doing similar stuff out there to make our community a better place. Yeah, and uh, you know, on that topic, um, if people aren't aware, uh, the club and 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 the club supporters. Uh, they did a lot to to rebuild a, a historic stadium, Keyworth Stadium. Uh, can you maybe talk a little bit, bit about what that effort was like and, and sort of how similar efforts have developed since then? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, um, you know, put some, let's put some concrete examples out there, right? I'll start in the clouds. Uh, so it was 2016, 2017, we started selling out of our original uh, stadium. It was too small. We needed a new place to play. Um, Detroit is a city full of building that even if you live here, you drive past over and over again. And they just were sort of like um, old hulking buildings where it's just like, man, that must have been a wonderful place a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if only something could be done to, to bring it back to life. And in one example of that space was uh, there's a soccer field uh, at the time of the American football field in, in Hamtramck. And Hamtramck is a city completely surrounded by the city of Detroit. It's one of the uh, few cities like that in our entire country. Uh, that was, uh, now it's almost 90 years old. It was a you know, FDR, TVA. Wow. So, um, that was the home field of the school district in Hamtramck mm-hmm. for generations. Um, but it's fallen in disrepair. It wasn't exactly safe to sit there and watch a game, even though the high school was still using the actual field. Um, it, it, it had essentially been left behind, you know. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the rooftops in, in that area didn't create the tax revenue that the school district needed to keep it up. And um, unfortunately, we don't value our treasures the way we should. Um, but that didn't stop us from seeing the potential in a brick and cement stadium that wasn't uh that didn't have a track around it <laughs> right yeah so, that's a huge one <laughs> so we uh yeah it's a huge plus uh, but it was going to need a ton of money just to make it playable so uh, we certainly don't have the money that none of that kind um 
and luckily another one of my partners, Sean, our founder, Sean Mann, is uh, a lobbyist by trade and was really dialed into what was going on in Lansing um, in terms of what sort of uh, legal uh, schemes were available out there to do some um, investment and in, in fundraising. And mm-hmm. the state had just recently passed a, a, a law that allowed for um, essentially uh, very big Kickstarters. You know, the, that is the best way to describe it. But uh, instead of you know getting like a pillowcase if you if you donate twenty bucks and you know sign a CD if you donate thirty, we were allowed to offer a return on the the investment that folks would make. So we turned to our supporters and over the course of three months, um, offering them a return on their investment, we raised uh, you know three quarters of a million dollars. Um, quick enough to get the concrete and steel reinforced in that stadium that allowed us to kick a ball that very next year. And uh, the return on the investment was tied directly to attendance. Anyone who invested in our in the project uh, was told that we will pay you back as fast as we can get butts in the seat. So the, it doesn't, you know, your investment doesn't stop with your investment. The next thing you have to do is get to games, get everyone you know to games, spread the word. Uh, if we're going to save this building, if we're going to move this club forward, we all we need your help. Um, and within less than two years, uh, that chunk of money is going to pay off. Wow. Um, and it's a, it's a testament for the power of sports, a testament for the power mm-hmm. of story. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's a testament to our fans who yeah. – and you know it wasn't the best of times obviously at times we weren't gonna know we wouldn't find out so much later but times would get worse but um it's never an easy time to just dig in your pockets and uh, invest in something that's not a sure thing and we'll always be grateful that so many folks did no definitely and did, did you guys sort of expect to so quickly get kind of this community support like behind you. Like, I mean, just that alone is incredible to kind of have the fans, you know, come to and support your club like that. But it just seems yeah, like it's financially even willing financially, to open up their wallet. Right. And it seems to have even grown since then, you know, you five more years down the road, it seems like the fan support in community sport is, you know, a hundred times what it was back then. We hope so. I mean, it's, it's an interesting combination of, again, like coming to work every day, just like the number one uh, sense being gratitude, like being so grateful that so many folks care about what you're doing. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. You know, the example I just gave you about the the money we raised for Keyworth uh, within three months, we hit that number. You know, fast forward a few years during COVID. Um, we were looking at, you know, like so many other organizations, we were looking at the end of this club, but there was just no way to make money. Um, so we sliced off uh, 10% of the club, made it available for public investment. Uh, we needed that capital to float us off over to the next um, season when we'd be able to start um, selling tickets again. And instead of three months, we hit our target in three days. Um, we raised over, you know, we, we raised roughly a million and a half dollars. Uh, and, and it took three days, you know, so when, so when you ask, you know, am I surprised or did you do anything special or, 
you know, like, yeah, we were up all night trying to figure out ways to convince people to, to invest in DCFC. I had a ton of creative lined up and we were going to, we were going to like blast people for months just to get to this number. And, you know, within 18 hours of opening the investment, we're just like, oh man, I'm, I'm going to use half of this stuff. <laughs> um, so I'm, re- I'm always cautious to take too much credit, right? We, there is a, um, you know, there, there is a, a, a fortune, a fortunate timing aspect of this, of this as well. But it, um, it's something that we're extremely grateful for. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's one thing that we keep coming back to is just how important building a community is to a club. I mean, you can have a wealthy owner and we've definitely seen examples of that where, you know, you have a wealthy owner, but that's not enough to, to really create one, an on-field product that's, that's fun to watch and two, uh, an experience that's, that's fun to be a part of. So, um, we're always excited to see clubs that are, are, are building community. And I think Detroit city is definitely one of the, the leaders in, in that uh, market. Um, you had mentioned a little earlier, your exposure in, in Europe and how, uh, in, in, you know, uh, European publications taking note of the club. What do you what do you think? What do you attribute that to? What do you think that you know um, gets a, a, a publication over in Europe to to notice a, a lower league club here in the United States like yourselves? Um, well, we've got sexy pictures that helps, right? <laughs> yeah. We can do. The smoke, we can do. The smoke helps. <laughs> it was. Well, it's, it's funny when you think about the the dynamic with all this stuff, and it's only like being steeped in it that I've really realized is like there there's almost a nostalgia from uh from European soccer uh storytellers or journalists uh when they see pictures of Keyword Stadium with like billowing smoke and dancing crowds and noisemakers and drums. Like we are doing so many things that they just can't do anymore. Um it's it's one of the most fascinating aspects of American soccer in contrast with global soccer. There's so many ways that as a country we're, we're just not getting it done when it comes to soccer, but there's also this flip side of it that we've got all this freedom um, that we can, do, we can do so much. And I, I think it really taps into a nostalgia for like a German, you know, German sports journalist or an English sports journalist. They, mm-hmm. they just love, they love seeing this club doing today what maybe like you know they had only heard about from their you know their grandparents age you know like you know like the, the club that got started in a pub and uh, you know they all hung out together and yeah you know they would, like they would do all this stuff. right exactly and mm-hmm. and there are clubs don't get me wrong there are clubs today that are doing something similar but when you take the like the ethos of like our community our community roots and our supporter based culture and then you put on top of it like the performative aspects of of our game day atmosphere. Right. Um, and of course, like we win too, right? Like right, that helps. That, that does certainly that helps. helps. Oh, that definitely helps. Really big part of it. Um, we encourage and and we've grown we've grown the women's side, and now we're working mm-hmm. on the youth as well. Um, we have at our Detroit City Fieldhouse. Um, not only to indoor pitches, but in between them, there's a, a bar 
has basically become like the social part of our club. Got, so when we have, I gotta meetings, say, Alex, I I love that idea. Like, I that every city needs a field house like that with a bar yeah. incorporated for people to just come hang out. You know, have a beer, watch some mm -hmm. soccer. I, I like <laughs> great idea. Yeah, well, and it's it, thanks. It's um, well, it's super cool. Uh, first of all, but like, I think that's another thing that. It's not just that we're doing things that are impossible in Europe. We're doing things that are extremely familiar, right? Like right. Any, anytime we play an English team and they come over, they're just like, oh, this is just like my club at home. And, uh, and we're just like, yeah, we're the only one in America. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, and they're just like, what? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's an interesting contrast, but it's something that fits so well. Uh, with what we're trying to accomplish and yeah you're right at the end of the day like i'm at the point now where my oldest daughter uh, she's almost four and on saturday mornings like we go out to the field to the field house at nine in the morning she does some little kickers for a couple hours and then we sit and eat, eat french toast and watch whatever games are on with a you know 100 of our you know closest soccer buddies um it, it feels like a family it's, it's a really cool experience yeah, you, you can't beat it. And, uh, you know, originally it was an amateur family. Uh, and now <laughs> you guys have since gone pro. So what was what was that transition like going from uh, playing in the NPSL um, and, you know, doing quite well and, and making the decision to, to move into NISA? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, every... well, actually, I should say, I believe that maybe you were not necessarily originally looking at NISA, is that correct? Or was it the NPSL Founders Cup? Oh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> if we want to get into news, that. <laughs> right. News break lower league. News break lower league American soccer. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I, I guarantee, I, I lived through it, and I guarantee whatever I tell you, I will get the timeline and the league names wrong. But basically, um, while we were still in NPSL, we were part of... Um, sort of an ambitious uh, splinter group within that league to try to build something approaching a professional option, uh, which is the members cup that you that you were talking about. Um, that uh, wasn't didn't quite materialize. So, but we still wanted to grow. You know, we were we were operating at what we thought was a, a level above what we were in at the amateur level. We, Frankly, we just wanted more games. We had just gotten the keyword. Like, we wanted more games. The only way to get more games is to be a pro team. So we kept looking <laughs> and looking, uh, landed on NISA, and uh, tried to make that work as long as we could. A um, lot, of, lot of positive results from that uh, very short marriage. Um, but in the end, we kind of played our way out of that league, right. too. Um, took home a lot of hardware and again kind of found us back into that spot where we're just like we got to keep growing we got to give we got to give our supporters some um you know some badass supporter groups to, to, to chance against right we gotta we gotta put our team in a position to you know maybe drop some points um we were <laughs> that's one way to put it adversity. Team, yeah. teams have to go through some adversity right Oh, who wants to watch that movie, right? Like, it, honestly, like, it's fun, but it, who wants to watch the movie about the team that just smashes everyone until infinity? It's a, it's a, it's a boring movie. 
Usually the movie's about the team that beats the team that's smashing everybody to infinity. Right. So right. Yeah. You, yeah. you guys would be the bad guys of that movie, apparently. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of folks in, uh, in that league without the bad guys. Um, the, the, so, you know, so pretty quickly we had to, in the last six months, I believe we made the uh, announcement within a month of that season last mm-hmm. season, season ending that we were going to jump to the USL championship which for right. our club and the, the, the history of our club and the roots of the club and the fact that like you know three of the five owners are full-time employees um it's an amazing trajectory in 10 years to think there was a championship now um it's something that uh, definitely is the thing we think of in the morning the last thing we think of when we go to bed that uh you know, we got to go play in San Antonio. Gosh, what is it? What's the two weeks? Yeah, About two weeks. weeks. Two two home weeks. openers in like three weeks, so it's coming right up. We're playing in ten days, man. I think our first game's at twelve. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, super exciting. Uh, I'm so excited to watch the quality of play, and I'm I'm super. As like the guy who is most uh, focused on the story of this club, like. Mm-hmm. I think in, I think adversity breeds just really compelling stories, and uh, I think we got that in spades this year. <laughs> no, definitely, and I, I think for I think for a lot of people, especially us, it kind of came as a surprise when the news broke. I think it was like Reddit or something, which of course it's Reddit that I think we first got wind of of this happening, and um, it just kind of was you know oh this is so awesome you know and I, I think for us too we talked about a lot like you know this is the perfect drum for detroit city fc because no way you can grow as a club it's the next step right and and i may the, be a little biased because uh i'm in florida so this means matches are going to be easier for me to see you guys right, right in tampa <laughs> bay so um but how did how did sort of the supporters group kind of take it um when you guys mm. announced this um, we got to shout know, out the northern guard the Northern Guard. Yeah. So for folks uh, listening, the uh, the main the main supporters for for, for DCFC is the Northern Guard. Um, they're not the only one, but they're definitely the, the one that's the high, has the highest profile and the one that we interact with the most. Although we are two completely independent entities, which is probably mm-hmm. in the secret to both of our successes. But um, you know, from the inside looking out, we definitely took into consideration um, the fact that not everyone would think going to the championship was the best idea. Mm-hmm. But we've, we've always made a decision about this club with an eye on sustainability. And we've always been able to find success when we've told you know, it made it clear what the motives and reasons for our decisions have been. Um, it, the the instability uh, of, of this, uh, and by instability, I just mean like the, the we were, were winning too much. Uh, we, we wanted to be sure that we had lots more games. Um, really, just uh, the the lack of a platform was a big factor, right? Like I'm in charge of the production and um, the championship, USL championship offers every single game on ESPN Plus. 
Right. Right. And, and the fact that we've accomplished what we have without a, a rock solid, predictable place to watch our games. That's mm-hmm. one of the, that's one of the most miraculous things about the DCFC story, in my opinion. Right. Like I'm in awe of supporters of DCFC because up until this year, it was like, it was not a hundred percent sure that you'd even be able to find my game. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Right. It's, that stuff's vital. Um, so among other reasons, we, we pointed that stuff out, we presented it with respect. Um, and I think that, you know, it was received with a few raised eyebrows that the vast majority was receiving with open arms, because I think everyone agreed in that moment that it's a thing we have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we want to grow this club, if we want this to be the club that sticks around for our kids and grandkids, like we got to make this move. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the the general consensus seemed to be, you know, it's either the club doesn't survive, mm-hmm. or the club survives, and you know, maybe maybe a couple things change that uh, you know supporters were not quite fans of. Um, whether that is um, the reliance on on independent soccer um, or just the the business behind the club itself, but mm-hmm. I think I think you're right. Um, it it definitely seemed like there was a bit of confusion at first. And now, I mean, I can't, I obviously cannot speak for every supporter, uh, supporters group. I can't try to, but I think the, the future looks bright. It looks stable. It looks like you guys are going to have some great competition. Um, and, it, and from what I've heard and read, it seems like, um, you got a pretty good deal. So I think we're all very excited to see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, when we, when we had our announcement, you know, the, um, the, the, the stuff that we pointed to was we're at the field house, you know, and uh, on either field in the middle of our announcement were our youth clubs playing, right? U8 teams and U10 teams. And um, a, a club like Detroit City FC doesn't, doesn't thrive unless it's, it's, unless it's going to culture, unless we figure out a way to pass our traditions along uh, from generation to generation. It's the one thing we owe the club is to build and reinforce uh, the traditions of our clubs through our actions, through our positive actions. And the only way we are going to be able to do that is to, to move up into the USL championship. Um, so, you know, while I think that there is like a fascinating like perpetual motion machine of independent soccer banter out there, mm-hmm. um, which I really respect and I can barely keep back up. Oh, um, we have a hard time. <laughs> oh, yeah. God bless you guys for trying. Yeah, um, we do our best. I think, and don't get me wrong, I actually think that's a vital symptom of a vibrant sports culture. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important that these conversations are being had. But I also think that we can exist separately as a club parallel to those conversations, right? Like, I think one thing I remember saying a lot is, like, I, we, can't, we can't sit around and wait for every, like, soccer problem to be solved if we're going to grow this club. If those, eight, if those eight-year-olds are going to have a team when they're 40, we got to move, right? Because the banter may never end. And hopefully it doesn't, right? Because I think it's the function of doing right. the, the, the sport better. I would have to delete my Twitter account. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, love it. Love the tweets. It's, uh, it's always hard to, to go to bed because there's always something else 
going on in soccer Twitter. <laughs> no, it, it, it's definitely, you know, exciting time for you guys and the club. And especially now that, you know, you guys are growing the women's game, not just the men's game as well. Um, kind of talk about, you know, your sort of, you know, development with the women's game and kind of, you know, your involvement now uh, getting involved with the W League. Yeah, it was uh, one of the additional attractions of joining USL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like, uh, what is it, like the creative, Adobe Creative Suite, you know, you don't just get Photoshop, you get all those other apps. So it's like oh, you, get, you get USL and you get, you're just like, hey, we got, <laughs> we, got a, we got, the USL suite includes a, 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 a women's side, a academy side, um, mm-hmm. lots of resources, an ESPN Plus deal. The, the W League is something that is super exciting. We see it as, um, in many ways, a model for what we did with the men 10 years ago in NPSL. Uh, having a women's team has been part of the like DNA of DCFC from our founding. It's something we've talked about since year one. But alongside that conversation, we always said we weren't going to do it until we could do it right. Um, we finally got the resources over the past couple of years to build up the team. COVID happened, which threw a wrench in everyone's uh, plans. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had a, a shortened season two years ago. Uh, they played in front of, uh, you know, essentially half filled or empty stadiums last year. Um, so with this move, W League in many ways, uh, it's our third season, but in, in many ways, it's our first. Right. Um, we're going to be playing uh, a, a great group of, uh, again, a great group of teams from cities people have heard of, which is uh, a really important um, marketing point, mm-hmm. especially when you're, you know, in a sports town like Detroit, right? Like, um, people are going to care more if you're playing Indianapolis than if you're playing Zanesville, right? It just that is what it is. Um, and it's great that our women are doing that as well. Um, it'll be a summer league team, so it's going to look in so many ways like our MPSL team. Uh, but our coach Sam Prani is um, pulling uh, pulling a good group of players together, and um, you know we're trying to we're trying to live our values too, right? It's not we're not just saying it's important. Like we're we're doing TV not just for the men's championship side, but for the W League side. I'm not sure if any other at least that I'm aware of, I'm not sure how many other W League teams are looking to, to get those games on local TV. Um, we're giving it the same production treatment as we are a championship team with an eye on, um, you know, a long-term strategy of building out the infrastructure when we're ready mm-hmm. to have a pro women's side as well. No, that is just so awesome. And, you know, kind of, for, for, you know, for you and for, for everyone and, you know, you're talking about how you have a young daughter and, you know, the growth of the women's game here in the United States has just been skyrocketing for so long, but it always feels like sort of that one thing it's always kind of been missing was multiple avenues for professional soccer um, for the women's game here in the United States. Um, and so something like the W League and something like you guys getting involved is just, you know, such a you know, awesome thing. Um, and where, where do you kind of, do you guys kind of see the W league as the end all or is, you know, the USO super league kind of on your radar as well? I, I think we would love to end up in uh, a fully pro um, super league. 
Um, I also think that we will always fall back on, well, we're not going to do it until we can do it right. Um, there are financial, like, you know, financial realities that mm -hmm. with, with the way our club is built, that we can, we can only kind of bite off so much of a challenge at a time. Um, but I think growing the club's profile on the men's side and the women's side, you know, becoming more uh, commonplace, growing the brand locally, but also um, doing everything we can to encourage the women's game. Um, I think those are all the things that we have to do to get our club ready to, to move to a pro women's reality. But also, I think, like you said, like it, this is something that every club needs to be thinking about regularly if we're going to support women's soccer in, in, in the U.S. the way they deserve to be. Because um, there's just some phenomenal uh, organizations and players out yeah, there. Yeah, I think we're uh, we're definitely very excited for the for the future of the club, um, and it and it makes us very happy to see uh, these sort of I guess all encompassing clubs where we now have um, clubs like yourself and uh, Chattanooga that are moving towards having both you know a men's and a women's side, and um, you know eventually aims to move those to to pro. Um, I do have one question though for you. Um, more on sort of the the future we're moving into here and, and one kind of on the past as well uh so i wanted to ask what club are you guys or maybe yourself personally i guess you can't speak for the club uh in totality but uh what team are you extremely excited to to play in this upcoming season in the usl championship oh good question i, I mean there's a there's a lot i've been doing a lot of like usl championship homework because um I would say my style of, of covering DCFC has always been to be like very laser focused on the, on the team and the league we're in. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I can't wait to play Memphis because that's our old coaches team. That's going to be a blast. Um, I love that we've got games in Pittsburgh, Indianapolis, Louisville that are bus trips away. Right. Um, I'm ecstatic that our supporters are going to be able to like hop on a bus and go to these great cities and watch some great soccer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm equally ecstatic that their their fans are going to come to Keyworth. Um, it's it's such a rare occurrence when I'm hearing, you know, opposing fans. It's really only when we do uh, League MX mm -hmm. international friendlies in the past where we've had so, like a, a hardcore away support presence, and it just it just makes for an electrifying event, right? Um, so that's the; those are sort of my sentimental picks. And um, above that, I just want to see the best, the best that the league has to offer, and I want to see them in our in our, in our house, right? Like, mm -hmm. I can't wait to see Tampa. It looks like uh, San Antonio is going to be a good good team. We sort of drew them for our opener, so that'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, Louisville, right? Like that's yeah. uh, that's a team I can't wait. I can't wait to see them play, and I can't wait to see their faces when they see Keyworth Stadium because it's, yeah. it's a very, it's a very different uh, vibe uh, in every way uh, than I think what a lot of these teams are going to be used to. But um, right. it's going to be worth watching. Yeah, and actually, you know, you had mentioned the international friendlies. I I totally forgot to even to even bring that up. You guys have uh, kind of had a, a little bit of a world tour at Keyworth. 
uh, as well as, you know, beyond Keyworth, uh, including clubs like uh, Atlas and I think Venezia right off the top of my head. But um, speaking of all the teams that you've played, what's a, what's a rivalry from back in the, the NPSL days that you hope maybe one day you'll see them again and be able to rekindle that rivalry? Yeah, well, historically, the, the coolest group of rivalries um, that go back to the founding of the club was uh, the supporter created uh, Rust Belt Derby, which was between mm-hmm. Detroit, uh, Cleveland, and Buffalo. Um, like three awesome Rust Belt towns. They're also great to visit and, you know, also a bus trip. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to have uh, a fun day. And we play, we still find a way to play them. And we still find a way to lose to Cleveland, even though uh, <laughs> there is like a team below us. I really hope that, I just hope that somehow they don't, we don't end up playing them in the U.S. Open Cup. That's the last, that's the last team I want to see if we end up finding those guys if they keep winning out because i believe they're playing uh i think they're playing chicago uh in open cup so um but that's that's a fun that's a that's a really fun rivalry uh, i think detroit and cleveland have a national rivalry no matter what oh, um i i detest uh the baseball team in cleveland um no matter what they're called um Buffalo's a cool town. They're, it's kind of hard to hit Buffalo, but uh, it's fun to beat them. Yeah. No, it, I it's think, funny. I think Carl, actually, you saw them at the the Independent Cup? Yeah, it was the Independent Cup when Detroit uh, City came to Cleveland. And I went, it was my first time going to one of the Cleveland SC games. Um, and I was amazed um, at how many supporters actually bust down for DCFC, um, it, it was almost like a home game for them. Like the amount of support, you know, the Northern Guard was there. Like it was, you know, the flares were going up after every goal and it, the smoke. It, it, it was fantastic to watch um, because like for me, and um, I think it was even, you know, kind of, you know, even more of a great experience. My um, So my wife is Brazilian. And so obviously every MLS game I've taken her to either her or her parents have just like chuckled the entire time, like watching the supporters group, but she was actually <laughs> like amazed by Detroit city's like supporters group. Cause she's like, wow, like that's like, you know, sort of what we do in Brazil. Like, you know what I mean? That's what you see like clubs like Flamengo and Vasco da Gama and Palmeiras and Corinthians. And like, you know, she was like, you just, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier. Like, it's that nostalgia feeling for people, you know, who grow up around the game in different areas in the United States that sort of some of the leagues in the United States or some of the supporters haven't really, you know, grabbed onto yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, and that speaks to a, a larger conversation about what's possible in American soccer and American sports and, and what, you know, how important it is to build trust between the front office and the supporters. Um, we have an incredible mutual trust and respect with our supporters groups. And right. uh, that has borne fruit from day one. We don't have issues at our games. Uh, we have absolutely insane parties at our games. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of mutual trust, right? So, um, you know, short of sort of finding clubs across the country that'll not only have that perfect mix of like a, a supporter group that are willing mm-hmm. to go the go the extra mile to 
to create an atmosphere like that and a front office that's going to understand that it's possible. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to preserve it as long as possible because it's, it's, it's an awesome experience. No, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, it still no, sucks. It still sucks that we lose to Cleveland every once in a while. It'll happen. I, I've been telling Carl he needs to get in there and you know find find some way. He needs to start petitioning maybe the the government to help him out or something. There, we don't know. We'll 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 figure it out. Um, it's cheaper than a flight, maybe, so maybe we'll figure it out. Bring it on. <laughs> but but uh, hey, we're we're super happy that um, you were able to speak with us today. Uh, we're we're really excited for this upcoming season for DCFC. As you said, you know mm-hmm. this. This gives you guys a real chance to um, to to prove your might, and uh, I believe that's Definitely. starting off on March 12th. So as you mentioned, um, anyone who's interested, you will be able to watch that on ESPN Plus. Definitely uh, check it out. And um, we want to, you know, thank you again. And and Alex, is there anything you'd like to say to the people before we let you go? No, um, we're gonna have. Uh... We got, a, we got a new U, fancy USL website. We're going to have an app. Oh, uh, oh yeah. No. You like, guys are big time now. With that, no. with that app, it's official. You guys, you've taken off. We've got an app. I sound like uh, I sound like the Internet 1.0 guy that I am. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We have an application. Yeah, just go to www.com. <laughs> No, you guys covered it. I really appreciate the time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, would lo- I, it's it's great that we're on ESPN Plus. So I think the 19th is our home opener. I definitely think folks should check it mm-hmm. out. We, uh, Despite being the northernmost city in the league, we've got three games in March. So uh, oh, that'll be but, fun. That'll be a blast for uh, it'll be a, it'll definitely be a blast for us in Detroit that live, live up here. Um, I'll, we'll see how the visiting teams teams handle it. Um, I think we've got snow predicted for Monday, but it's also supposed to be 60 degrees the day before that. So spin the wheel and you'll see what game you get, uh, what temperature you get, and uh, hopefully everybody listens in. Uh, I really appreciate the time. It's great talking to you guys. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Alex. All right.